0: Seattle's Morning News, Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien, Chris Sullivan, joining us now from Seattle Sports 710, Mike Salk, and the injury to Buffalo defensive back DeMar Hamlin. I watched that uh, clip yesterday, and that was terrifying. So just for people who didn't see, explain what happened.
1: Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, and and I do want to just my first time on Cairo uh, in a little while, and just want to offer my condolences to you, Dave, and to the entire yeah. Cairo News Radio family for Dory's passing uh, over the weekend. A beautiful tribute yesterday on the station, uh, and and you know I'm sure for a lot of sports fans in Seattle who had been thinking about that, this this was even scarier seeing what had happened yesterday with Damar Hamlin, who is a, a safety with the Buffalo Bills. Yesterday was a big game between the Bills and the Bengals Monday night football uh, two of the best teams in the league everybody was geared up for it and early in the game kind of mid first quarter uh, Hamlin a safety hit a player T Higgins who's a a big wide receiver for Cincinnati it did not look particularly unusual Uh, he got up and then immediately collapsed Uh, it's the only way to explain it and yes, that part was scary. I think where it really um, became almost more traumatizing is knowing and, and hearing and finding out that they were giving him CPR on the field and defib on the field and, or AFib rather, excuse me, and people, people on the field looked horrified when you saw these grown men crying these gladiators so to speak crying and and just how uncomfortable and upset they looked and we've heard from you know some of the folks who were doing the game the people who could actually see into what was happening on the field because for the most part the cameras didn't capture that which is a good thing i'm not saying they should have my understanding is that it was even scarier for those who could see it because you can see the frantic nature of what goes into a it was cardiac like that.
0: arrest it was cardiac arrest so and this this sparked a uh, a discussion again about whether football's too dangerous
1: well i yeah i mean it does i mean we, we've seen moments like this before uh chris pronger in the nhl was hit in the chest you know a decade or so ago and his heart briefly stopped on the field i mean you know the the nfl takes all precautions there is an ambulance there he other than being in a hospital i don't know that there are many safer places to suffer cardiac arrest than on the middle of an nfl football as yes, i've heard as, that as awful <laughs> as it sounds just based on on how many medical personnel on the ambulance and everything else i i think the bigger the the first debate that i'm hearing more is you know what should the NFL have done? You know, There's this rumor that came out that the NFL told them, "Hey, get on the field in five minutes and play." And it took the coaches and players saying, uh, "No, we're not going to do that." There was no way those guys were going to play that game. Of course not. And and the NFL has since said that's not true. That's just a rumor. Yeah. But you know, I, I think unfortunately most people aren't going to believe the NFL because they don't have a very good track record of treating their employees like they care very much about that. It was a discussion that took them an hour to decide to postpone the game. Yeah, and and there is some element of that. That makes sense. Anybody who's ever spent any time in management, especially with a union involved, knows that you know there was going to be a conversation between the league and the players' union and the communication. I've also read that that in situations like this, the league does not want to cancel it too quickly because the you know seventy thousand people that are leaving right. and creating traffic make it harder for the individual to get to the hospital. So there are probably some you know some real world elements that factor in there. There, but the NFL didn't look very good. And probably some of that could have been saved by better communication.
0: Yeah. So do you think this ends up being one of those things that happens infrequently? Or does this lead to
1: uh, more attempts to to change the sport? I, rule I, out some I, kind of uh, some types of collisions? It's hard to, hard to speculate now. I don't think this was because of the type of collision. I mean, maybe it was. I don't know. It it didn't look particularly bad. It wasn't because somebody targeted him and, you know, speared him with his with his helmet. It wasn't a dirty hit. It was a fairly innocuous hit, if anything. You know, I'm going to hold off on answering that question until we find out more, until we learn, you know, the history and, and the medical and everything else that's going to go into it. But. I, you know, look, the NFL has attempted to make changes and has done some things to remove the hits to the head, et cetera, that that, that have caused long-term problems for its players. I, I don't know yet whether or not this is something that will lead to further changes to the game. And he remains uh, critical? As of right now, yes, uh, remains in critical condition. There was a report last night that they had gotten his vitals uh, restored and back to normal, that he was intubated. So they put him to sleep to put a tube down his throat, et cetera, you know. Obviously, everybody in, in the NFL, the sports community, and I think even well beyond that at this point is is thinking for him, wishing the best, praying if that's what's appropriate to them. You know, I don't know. The one cool story that came out of this is this kid has a, a toy drive that he does in Buffalo. And, and I think as of yesterday, it had $10,000 in its GoFundMe. It's now over three million dollars. Yeah. Now I don't know whether what they're going to do with that much money, or whether there's going to need to, you know, they'll find a way to disperse it to other needy places. Um, but just an incredible response by the community to seeing what what you don't really want to see on television ever. Mike Sox, Seattle Sports Seven Ten. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Dave. I, oh, let's go. Choke
0: points brought to you by Acton's Quality Roofing. The state isn't waiting very long for the first construction closure of the year. The 520 bridge, all of it, closed this weekend. Here's Chris.
2: The confetti is still on the floor, but that isn't stopping the Washington Department of Transportation from getting right back to work. 520 will be closed between 92nd on the east side of the lake and I-5 all weekend. The contractor is installing more girders on the growing Montlake lid and pouring concrete on the new eastbound connection from Montlake to the floating bridge. Here's WashDOT Steve Pierre.
0: It'll be a typical 55-hour weekend closure from 11 p.m. on Friday night to 5 a.m. Monday morning in time for the morning commute. We're closing 520 from I-5 all the way to 92nd on the east side and all of the associated on and off
2: ramps. So this is going to be one of those closures that extends all the way to I-5, so you won't have access between Montlake and I-5 like we do on some of these closure weekends. To get ready for that, the ramp from Montlake to westbound 520 will be closed overnight, both Wednesday and Thursday. Those closures will start about 10 p.m. each night and go through 6 a.m. the next morning. The contractor there is actually building a tunnel under Montlake Boulevard that will extend the 520 trail. Now, this is going to be a very very busy year for the 520 project as the contractor puts the finishing touches on that new eastbound connection to the floating bridge. Work to add the reversible lane between 520 and the I-5 express lanes will continue. But Pierre says this is just the middle portion of the entire project. We've got about nine years
0: of construction ahead of us. This project, the Montlake project, will wrap up in late 2023, early 2024 just in time to start the Portage Bay project, which is a long project as well.
2: But we're getting there. Drivers should get that second lane from I-5 to westbound 520 by the end of February or early March. Remember, that one's been uh, taken away as they build that little construction zone, as they build that flyover ramp. By the way, they did the demolition on that uh, cracking concrete pier. Uh, if you've uh, seen that, that one's uh, the, t- the cap has been uh, taken off that, so they've got to mm-hmm. re-pour that, but that shouldn't delay uh, the reopening of that that other lane uh and that should uh, get back in the first quarter uh, of this year so that should get rid of some of those morning delays that we see there in the westbound direction
0: well that's good by the time that's done cars will be able to fly right
2: well let's hope so yeah. <laughs> yeah um i'm not sure if we bet money on flying cars or getting no. light rail across the lake on i-90 <laughs> that i mean i don't want to be pessimistic to start the year but uh yeah we got some issues yeah
0: The man accused of murdering four University of Idaho students will be in court today to waive his extradition rights and be sent back to Idaho. He is Brian Koberger, age 28. He was arrested Friday in Pennsylvania at his parents' home after police say he embarked on a road trip with his father after those murders. Colleen is here to catch us up on what we know so far.
3: Well, what we know is that 28-year-old Koberger was a graduate student at Washington State University in the Department of Criminology. What we don't know yet is whether he knew any of his four victims. As police say, he lived just 15 minutes from the University of Idaho campus in Pullman. Students who worked alongside Koberger, because as a graduate student at Washington State University, he would act as a teacher's assistant off and grading papers for uh, the undergraduate students. And they say, in hindsight, Koberger was acting differently in class following news of those murders. He had like a little bit more facial hair, just like stubble, but definitely less like well-kept than he was. It was like, you know, he didn't really want to be there. That was at like an all-time high. And he just, you know, didn't look like he was doing great. The probable cause documents are sealed right now until Koberger arrives in Idaho to face charges for counts of murder and felony burglary. Right now, he is in Pennsylvania, so he's waiting that court appearance today. He's waived his extradition, so he is uh, going to be headed to Idaho very soon. Those documents will be available as soon as tonight if he makes it to Idaho in time. That's when we could learn a potential motive for the murders as well. But as Lataw County Prosecutor Bill Thompson indicated when they announced the arrest of Koberger, the investigation is far from over.
1: This is not the end of this investigation. In fact, this is a new beginning.
3: Meantime, Koberger's attorney is emphasizing that his client should be presumed innocent until proven guilty. And the man's family has issued a statement as well, saying they feel deep sadness for the families who lost their children and to let the legal process unfold. They say they're cooperating with police to seek the truth and promote their relative's presumption of innocence now let's not forget the four young people who were murdered here the family of 20 year old ethan chapin chapin who grew up in skagit county they also issued a statement following the arrest of Coburger. they say they're relieved This chapter is over, but that it doesn't alter the outcome or alleviate the pain. They say they miss Ethan and their family is forever changed. They added, if we all lived and loved as Ethan did, the world would be a better place. And have have
0: they revealed at all how they found this guy?
3: Well, you remember. So there was so much confusion and so much conjecture at the beginning of this investigation. But one thing crystallized about a few weeks in, which is they were looking for a white Hyundai Elantra. It was widely circulated. That car is what was taken from the home in Pennsylvania, his parents' house. So somehow they were able to track that car. because. So the murders happen. The semester finished. Koberger apparently finished out the semester at Washington State University. His dad met him there. And they took a road trip in a white Hyundai Elantra across the U.S. to Pennsylvania. Wow. So you know, we're thinking maybe that car had something to do with it. How did they track it? We don't know, but they do have that car in their possession. They're hoping any forensic evidence is in there. And uh, still no motive, no No. word of what the relationship was with the victim. If they knew them, um, you know, there's speculation online. I'm not going to go into that as far as if there was any online connection with social media. Uh, But again, we're just waiting for those documents. Those are usually rich with details and information. Right. We have a dose of kindness for you this morning. Fans are opening their hearts and their wallets to show support for Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, who's fighting for his life after suffering cardiac arrest on the field last night. People around the world have donated more than $3 million online to a GoFundMe page Hamlin created to Christmases ago to buy toys for children in his native Pittsburgh. What's up? It's Jamar Hamlin. Back out the hometown, back at the crib. The third annual toy drive, man. We're doing it for the kids. Having a good time, man. So let's get back to it. When he created the GoFundMe page, Hamlin wrote, as I embark on my journey to the NFL... I will never forget where I came from, and I am committed to using my platform to positively impact the community that raised me. According to a cached version of the website page, Hamlin's GoFundMe had received a little under $3,000 two years ago. And uh, now it is up to three million dollars. It raised nearly 700,000 in about an hour Monday after Hamlin collapsed. Uh, Of course, as I updated you in my newscast, he is uh, sedated in critical condition, according to his team. And we are all hoping for a turnaround.
0: 747 Seattle's morning news. Seahawks playoff chances are still alive. But Sunday shaping up to be a frustrating day because of the way it's been scheduled. Let's go to Mike Salk from Seattle Sports 710.
1: Well, they face the Rams. Uh, win and they have to win in order to make the playoffs. But then they need Detroit to beat Green Bay, which, if you know anything about the NFL, you know is never going to happen no matter what. Detroit beating Green Bay in a must-win game in Green Bay is like a physical impossibility. But... It's like the generals beating the uh, beating the globetrotters. <laughs> like it's just, it's not going to happen. But uh, Detroit's actually pretty good, and it's a weird situation because if the Seahawks lose, then the winner of that Green Bay Detroit game gets in. If the Seahawks win, Detroit's eliminated. So you would assume that the NFL, which waits to schedule the times for Week 18, would have put these two te- two games at the same time, but it did not. Because they were so, you know, ensorcelled by the idea of having Aaron Rodgers play their primetime game against Detroit. It it probably isn't going to matter, but it's another case of bad optics of why when you wait to schedule it for these exact conflicts, because Mm -hmm. Detroit, if Seattle wins, won't have anything to play for, so to speak. It's just a, a typical NFL move where you're like, man, why bother setting this all up to then completely go against the scenario you're trying to avoid? I see, but I mean they gotta get they gotta play a game anyway. Whether the the games are played simultaneously yeah, or consecutively, but if they play them simultaneously, Detroit doesn't know that they're eliminated. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can say they've got a great coach and they're well motivated and they're professionals, but the motivation of knowing it's win or get in, you know, win and get in, you know, there's something extra to that. And unfortunately, um, pride you know, isn't enough. It might be, but if you're a Seahawks fan, do you want to count on that? Hmm. Should they just censor the outcome of the game? Ah, yes, perhaps they should not let them know what happened. Just don't... don't let them keep them in a. The well, in this bubble. day and age, that usually works out pretty well. Generally, generally, we're able to to <laughs> yeah. hide from things yes, like that. Absolutely. Also, you got to root against the Broncos, of course, because if they lose, you are guaranteed at least the number three pick in the draft. If they lose and Chicago wins, that's number two. Hmm. Now you're way beyond my depth. Hey, Before
0: you were just beyond my depth. You get two picks in
1: the draft. You get Denver's my- pick because of because of Russell Wilson trade. You're going to end up with potentially a top three pick in the draft. So that that would be good news. Uh, yes, that would be very, very good news for the long-term future of the Seahawks. Mike Sox, Seattle Sports 710. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Dave.
0: 848 Seattle's Morning News. This shows the lengths we'll go to to cover a story. We decided to assign Mickey Gomez to say, see if you can get yourself stuck in a place with no uh, airplane service. And so, by golly, she went out. What did you do?
4: I got stuck with a place with no Good airplane service. Well, well done.
0: <laughs> Actually, you were on a uh, you were on a, a trip, right?
4: It was so you know my father in law really wanted us to spend the holidays with him because he was, I think he's being a little dramatic. He was like, "This is going to be one of the last Christmas." I'm like, "Dad, you're fine." Yeah, and, yeah, and sweet and, but you never know. Yeah. But he but he he said, "Listen, I haven't seen you since the, it's been three years." Yeah, because he he would not travel during the pandemic at all, which didn't yeah. blame him, right? So he he was. He's very kind about it. He bought our airline tickets because he was like, doggone it, you're coming. Yeah, but he bought Spirit. Uh, well, on the <laughs> way That's back. a longer
2: story we and, would have to get into.
4: And you know what? You <laughs> named it. I did not. I never <laughs> once called out the airline. Everyone kept saying, it's Southwest. And I'm like, no, no. no. But he, he did. He he had a budget. And he he we flew out on United, I guess mm-hmm. I could say. And then we were coming home on Spirit. And, of course, it was like just fingers crossed. So I knew things were going to go sideways sideways in Detroit when it took us over two hours to find someone to drive us to the airport hotel. Oh no. Wow. And so I just went, Ooh, is this, is this how it's going to go? And then sure enough, we get to the hotel and I'm like, tell me about the shuttle. Cause I see you have shuttle. And they're like, Oh yeah, shuttles 24 seven. You're going to be fine. I looked at the board. Our plane was still on time we wake up at 2 30 in the morning we we go through security because we have uh you know that fast security clearance thing and um we get through the line and and we're there and our crew never showed up what Uh, yeah they just never showed up well the poor people at the and i have so much sympathy for the people that have to work that gate right yeah um they just kept saying your crew is stuck at the hotel. They can't get uh, they can't get ground transportation to the airport. Well,
0: well, was there bad weather in Detroit? No,
4: I mean we had a blizzard two days before, before, but this was Detroit. Detroit was the streets were yeah. were clear. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Detroit's used to that. I lived there for eight and a half. Years, yeah. mm-hmm. um, apparently they just couldn't find an Uber or or, or a lift <laughs> to, to get them to the air. At least that's the excuse they gave us. Yikes. So then we finally take off. We already know we're not gonna we're not gonna reach our connector in Las Vegas, but and and De- and the Detroit people are telling us you have to get on this flight. We have no other flights mm-hmm. flying out. You have to. Mm-hmm. So we get to Las Vegas as soon as we touch down. I I turn on my phone. I'm like, what are the odds we can make it? Mm-hmm. Our flight, you know, because we gave ourselves extra time sure. in Vegas. So um, I turn on my flight. I turn on my, my phone and I look and then all of a sudden it's like bing, 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 bing. And it says your flight has been canceled. Oh, no.
3: So I mean, there are worse place to, places to be stranded. Not with... Four <laughs> bags of luggage and two kids. I no, yeah, kids, not. two, and yeah. my, and then my remote work
4: gear. Yeah. You know, yeah, because Sully was mean and made me work over Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> He's such a hardline no. boss. So then
4: I get. So then you know, I immediately we they allow all the people whose connectors you know, have been canceled or whatnot to get off the plane first. I run and I'm the first one in line and I'm like, hi, what can we do? I said, because this says that you can't fly me out until the 30th. And I'm not as much as I love Vegas, lady. I'm not going to be here for four days. Four and, days. Yeah, wow. That That's was the yeah, best thing. That could was do. the best they could do. So then she says, well, let me go ahead and see if I can get you on standby for tonight. Mm-hmm. So we're on standby. We go to get our luggage. It took us two and a half hours to get our luggage. Because Truth. all of the luggage that was coming up was from other canceled flights, so they were all in a row. The same place. So then we get our luggage, and um, and we're on standby now. And and this guy is following me around, and and come to find out, he was the same guy sitting in our row. And he's like, "So what are you guys going to do? I'm I'm thinking about driving." back to Seattle. I'm like, Oh no, dude, I'm not, I'm getting in a car, with you. In a car with you <laughs> and I'm certainly not going to drive back. I'm, I'm holding out for standby. They're going to get us on. They're yeah. going to get us on this flight. We're going to, I'm being all positive, right? Yeah. So we hang out in the Las Vegas airport for, I don't know how many hours. Finally at about four 30, we're able to check in our luggage again. We do that. We go to the terminal and when I get to the terminal, it is a mad house. And I just, my eye was like a deer caught in the headla- headlights and I, I'm like, we're not getting out of here. Oh, no. And, um, I mean, it was just utter chaos. They finally did cancel our flight oh, um, 15 minutes before it was supposed to take off. Oh. And then me and the guy, Sam. You found your dude. I, I, he was there. Well, he was with us the whole entire time. Why did he follow you around? I, I don't know. I guess I have that mom vibe. I yeah. don't know. He I just, I... He I, knew I'm, you'd figure out a I, I'm a quick. I'm a quick thinker. <laughs> right? I'm quick yeah. on my feet. I'm a problem solver. Uh, and I look at him, and we had been talking. He's like, if this flight cancels, Mickey, we... Gotta
3: drive. You back. guys are on first name basis now. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Okay. <laughs> He's like, we've got, we've got to drive back. And I look at him and I'm like, Sam, I'm, I'm with you. And I, and I was, I was totally joking. Like the whole entire time, I'm like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. Just okay, to whatever. Him. No, now we're now it's go time. So we did. We as soon as it canceled, we grabbed everything. And we run the baggage claim and my wife and two kids. And then while we're running there, I hear this guy in front of me and he goes, I can't believe we're stuck here for a fourth day. And I went, wait, what? Sir, where are you flying? He said, Seattle. I'm trying to get home. So he's
3: in the same situation He's in the same situation you. with
4: his little boy. And I go, well, we're renting a car. Wait, why did those words come out of my mouth? <laughs> now you're inviting more strangers, it? Mickey. So then he goes, can we ride with you? And I'm oh. like, let's get to baggage claim and then let's... let's Let's connect there. Let's yeah. uh, like so we do, and um, I see the look on his kid's face. Like he's nine years old, and he's like, "I don't want to be here another day." And I look at uh, Sam, and and I go, "You ready?" He goes, "I'm ready." I, I looked at my wife and I said you baggage, baggage claim you grab all of our bags um, Dave you come with us we're going to go and try and get a rental and we we jumped on the rental car bus we ran we got as soon as we got there we're running to different uh, you know Alamo uh-huh. Budget, uh, dollar rental car that. everywhere cars no you have cars no do you have cars and this woman just runs by me and, and she's in an Avis shirt and I go do you have cars she goes yes I go do you have vans she goes get in line <laughs> I run and I get in line and sure enough we get a, we get a vehicle and I call Sully.
2: We should continue the story
4: yes. tomorrow at eight yeah. fifty because okay, there's yes. so much more yes. Can to we? this.
3: Because I need to hear exactly how this road trip yeah. went with yes, strangers. Yes. So Mickey, join us tomorrow. I will. I will tell you how it goes. <laughs> they send incredible. you to a
0: ranch with a saddle and uh,
4: <laughs> no, you steal Sully. a horse. S- there you go. That's yes. Go Tune ahead, Sully. in tomorrow.
2: Yeah, at to the same bat time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross.
3: And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930.
0: And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.